Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Supercars has made some important changes to its tyre regulations ahead of this weekend's Darwin Triple Crown. The minimum tyre pressure for the Dunlop Super Soft will be 20 PSI. That's up from the standard 17 PSI in a bid to boost degradation. Uh, teams are also no longer allowed to warm their tyres in direct sunlight before a session and then bleed them back to a lower wheel pressure. A soft version of the VCAT aero testing process for the Gen 3 supercars has taken place at the Wellcam Airport in Toowoomba. The Mustang and Camaro were put through their straight-line paces by Carrera Cup drivers Bailey Hall and Harry Jones. Supercars was encouraged by the data from the preliminary straight-line test and says it's confident there will be parity between the cars. The formal VCAT will take place later this year, most likely in September, once the new S650 Mustang has been launched and the Gen 3 prototype has been updated accordingly. Supercars team owners Betty Clemenko and Ryan Story were among 669 people who received General Division of the Order of Australia Awards as part of the 2022 Queen's Birthday celebrations. They were both made members of the Order of Australia for their significant service to motorsport and their charity and community work. Richie Stanaway and Greg Murphy have cut their first laps in the Boost Mobile Supercar ahead of their Bathurst 1000 wildcard. The pair tested at Winton last Wednesday, and it looks like there will be at least four wildcard entries on the Great Race Grid this year, with Matt Charter Motorsports set to field a Walkinshaw Andretti United car as well. Toby Price is now an eight-time Fink Desert Race champion after taking a second consecutive cars category win with a record time in his trophy truck over the weekend. In the bikes class, David Walsh won a third consecutive King of the Desert crown, breaking Price's old race record in the process. And there will be 12 cars on the grid for the final round of the S5000 Australian Drivers' Championship in Darwin this weekend with the likes of Thomas Maxwell, John Martin and Tim Berryman joining the field. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I always let have the top bunk in our motorhome at Le Mans, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how was your weekend? I assume you did all 24 hours of Le Mans and then the Grand Prix and then rolled straight into the Socceroos playoff last night. I've got to be honest, Andrew, I I barely watched a lap of uh, Le Mans this year. Only uh, five cars in that outright class and clear Toyota domination. Just didn't uh, didn't capture my interest, but there's obviously some very good things on the horizon for sports car racing. I think it's uh, it's going to enter a golden era pretty soon, but it didn't quite do it for me uh, this weekend. I think that's totally fair enough. Like I, I had it on for a little while on Sunday morning, um, just as a bit of sort of background noise while I was pottering around the house, and th- you just look at it and it's like just these two Toyotas so far ahead. And you think, I think I've seen this movie before and I don't know that I really need to see it again. So I think that is, 
I think that is fair enough criticism. But as you say, some positive stuff happening in the sports car world and, and hopefully we can get, get to a point where we sit down, we look at a Le Mans coming up and go, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. But certainly not right at the moment. Anyway, Supercars is off to Hidden Valley this weekend for the Darwin, Darwin Triple Crown. This is our first formal Indigenous round. The covers have been flying off the Indigenous uh, liveries over the last week. And Stefan, I have to say, I reckon the grid is going to look incredible. There has been some brilliant liveries. Hats off to all concerned. I just think it's going to look so, so cool. Do you have a favourite from the uh, liveries we've seen so far? Well, yeah, it's a tough one to pick a favourite. Um, mm. Yeah, as you say, like they uh, – it's it's added further to the build up to what is usually a great event anyway. But totally, um, yeah. to have to have this uh, this come along and then roll them out in the lead up's been great. And uh, I think the the teams have obviously put a lot of effort into not only actually doing the liveries, but the storytelling and everything in the rollout yeah. of them as well has been really good so far. Um, I think in terms of like favourites, like. For me, like the Red Bull stuff was all very slick and that's an impressive looking car and they really did a good job of communicating all that. But my favourite is the cool drive car of what we've seen so far. I think there were some mm. really nice little elements of that that related to Darwin, like the crocodile on the bonnet's cool, but also yep. some little Blanchard family touches in there too. And and the fact that it's, it's asymmetric, that's something quite different uh, to what we usually see with race car liveries and, yeah, something I quite liked. That's a uh, that's a really good shout. The triple eight one does look great, as you said. Uh, I think the DJR car looks cool as well with that sort of bright yellow uh, through it. That that looks really good. And um, the Scott Pye's car, I think that's brilliant. I think that looks fantastic. That's um, that's another one that's really it's kind of different, and they've really gone all out on it. And uh, there's a you know the story behind it. I think the way that the teams have actually been you know using social media to tell the story and the graphics and that sort of stuff to really try and outline what it all means sort of adds. Well, it adds meaning to it. It's not just we're doing this because we have to. There seems to be some real enthusiasm for, for doing it and doing a good job. And hopefully we sort of see it become, I don't know, competitive amongst the teams where they're trying <laughs> to make it, you know, as special as possible and think outside the box and and really try and, and make these things pop. And, you know, it's it's just been a positive start. I just think it's going to look really cool. Yeah, there's been some different ways they've gone about it too in terms of some have sponsors with existing relationships with foundations like you see with Ampol. And then others yep. have tried to sort of uh, engage an artist to create a livery that is in some way related to the sponsor, which is an interesting way of going about it too. So yeah, there was just uh, it's been uh, yeah fascinating to see how it's how it's rolled out so far, and obviously there's some more to come ahead of the weekend. Speaking of fascinating, um, certainly some fascinating developments in the tie rules for this weekend. Um, it's been threatened a lot in the past about a minimum pressure rise, and we've now seen that it's been. Um, brought up from 17 to 20 um, to try and promote some more deg from these tyres. That will be for at least the next couple of rounds, Darwin and Townsville. That's from the super soft tyres, by the way. Supercars is hoping, you know, that they, they really want to ensure that teams actually really do have 20 PSI on the tyres by banning, baking the tyres in the sun before a session. So to explain this, at, vent, at events where there is plenty of sun and, and higher ambient temperatures, teams will lay their tyres out in the sun to naturally warm them up before they go on the car. As the temp goes up, so does the pressure. Uh, and teams can then bleed the tyres back down to a lower real pressure without dropping below the minimum pressure in terms of what the sensors are picking up. So um, what that effectively does is, you know, as the real pressure comes down, it changes the shape of the tyre um, and it means the tyre doesn't operate in the way that it was designed to operate at 
the minimum PSI and it changes the degradation characteristics. And what we've generally seen is that there's been a lot less deg. And what we saw in Darwin last year was that there was next to no deg. These things were meant to fall off a cliff at 60 kilometres and they just didn't do that at all. And that was because they were actually running a fair bit more, um, a fair a bit lower real pressure um, because of the way that teams could manipulate um, the heat and therefore pressure of the tyre before they went onto the car. Um uh, the idea is we will have 20 PSI on the cars. The tyres will be the right shape now. Uh, they'll deg as they're meant to. Stefan, what's your take on all this? Like, the theory is really good, um, but how hard is it going to be to police something like this? And are they really going to penalise drivers because someone doesn't keep track of the sun and it sneaks onto a tyre sitting in a garage? Well, firstly, I could listen to you talk about tyres for hours. You did a great job of explaining that. And, Thank you. We know that Supercars fans love hearing people talk about tyres non-stop. There is That's not generally the feedback. Talk, for sure. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it does sound like a nightmare of a thing to police, but at the end of the day, they've just got to set the penalty harsh enough so that, um, you know, it's not worth the risk of, of sneaking a bit of sunlight onto them. And they do have those dedicated tyre tents um, in the paddock area for each team. So uh, having them in there in the shade is probably a better thing for the paddock in general than having teams spraying them all over the, the actual paddock area trying to get some sun on them. So that'll clean some of that side of it up. But in terms of the the intention there of the high tire pressure and what that does to the racing, there's sort of always two schools of thought on that, isn't there? That, um, you know, it should mean higher deg, more unpredictable racing but then you can also just fall into that trap of everyone just driving really conservatively, just driving yeah. to a lap time rather than the ultimate grip level, which is kind of not what you want to see either. And, yeah, I mean, we've seen, like, Shane do that so well, just control the tyre temp, um, create that little bit of a gap in front of him in the early laps if, if necessary to make sure that he doesn't take too much out of it so that he can use it more later. So, yeah, I think we'll... Well, time will tell whether uh, it improves the racing, but it's certainly going to be a bit of a curveball in it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I spoke to Will Davison um, for this podcast, which you'll hear very soon, and he actually raised that same concern that, you know, if we start getting into high deg, do we get into tyre management um, races, which – and I, I, that's the one thing, like tyre tire conservation races I don't like at all. I always feel like the tyre conversation tends to go in – it's this ongoing sort of roller coaster of like, okay, well – will give guys tyres that kind of work and have grip and they can push on them. Um, and then they all go, oh, we need deg so we can pass people. And then they go, okay, well, here's a really deggy tyre. And they go, well, I've got no confidence in the in the outside front now and I can't overtake anyone, so we need more grip. And they go, okay, cool. Well, we'll give you all the grip back. And they go, well, hang on a minute, where's all the deg gone? And it's kind of – it just seems to go on and on and on and I don't really know what the answer is, but I do know that I don't like races where everyone's driving around on eggshells trying to make tyres last as long as possible because that's what – you know, they sit down and do the maths and go, well, it's better to drive slowly. We'll actually get to the finish faster by driving slowly than driving hard and, you know, um, eating up the tyre and all that sort of stuff. So it will definitely be interesting. What, what are you expecting to see from the Darwin Triple Crown uh, this weekend, Stefan? If we look back at last year, we saw the likes of DJR uh, and Team 18 right on the pace, particularly in qualifying. Um, this time around, DJR is coming off a pretty lean run um, at Winton, um, Team 18 has been a bit up and down. Could we see some redemption for them in the top end? Do you think it could be circuit-specific and they could go all right this weekend? Yeah, in terms of DJR, I think um, the stakes are pretty high for them. Like They've got to reassert themselves uh, at least as the top four team um, yeah. after Winton where you know Tickford and Groves had their measure. 
So um, this is a track where there is relevant form. It's not like Winton comparing the last time. They've been there as 2019. This is a track where this Anton Will era of DJR were, were very fast in Darwin last year, got all the pole positions. So anything less than being right up that right up the front is going to be uh, a step backwards year on year. Um, and if you, you look at the four teams, like you, you look at Tickford, and it's a little bit the opposite where obviously Cam Waters was – was super quick at Winton and got a couple of wins, but their Hidden Valley form hasn't been very good over the years. Mm. So it's kind of a test for them. And, and speaking of testing, they, they chose to test in this gap between Winton um, and Darwin, Tickford Racing did, which was interesting that they didn't test with with a lot of the others before Winton. So obviously yeah. they, had a, they had a program around that. So whether that um, yields something for them in Darwin where they haven't been that strong, we'll see. But... Um, yeah, if ever you're talking about form heading into these events, you've sort of got to look at where Triple Eight are and and Shane Van Gisbergen being the the benchmark. But the question mark this time is whether there is a little bit of a Lamar hangover for him. I mean, he's yeah. he's proven he can go between cars um, pretty easily, but it's a tough schedule coming back from Lamar like straight into the car at an event where he always always suffers with the heat and he really just yeah hates the hates the climate up there. So. Um, I think that's an interesting part of it too. There could be some motivation there for him to suck it up and get on with it because he is also planning to um, planning to do the World Rally Championship round in New Zealand like the week before the Bathurst 1000 this year. So I think if he if he lets too much of the extracurricular stuff creep into the supercar stuff, he might have Jamie Winkup going, oh, mate, we need to have a think about you know what we're doing on weekends that butt hard up against the supercars event, particularly the Bathurst 1000. So maybe he'll be a little bit motivated <laughs> to um, – Crack a couple of nodos and just uh, just get on with it. But no, no, it's a, that's definitely a really interesting point. Um, coming back to DJR, like it's not like Winton was an absolute disaster for him, but you're 100 percent right. It'll be interesting to see if they can recapture that proper front running form that we, you know we were seeing in in Perth. Um, you touched on the Groves as well. I think that's another really interesting team to watch this weekend because remember in Darwin last year, David Reynolds and Andre Heimgarter flat out qualified on the back row of the grid for one of the races, and it was barely weeks after Heimgartner had driven away from the field. At the bend, just it just highlighted their inconsistency at that point. I guess you know heading back to Darwin, if they can run at the front here, this really is a chance to show that that inconsistency that we saw last year is gone, right? Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's clearly a bigger challenge for them than than Winton, which is their test track where they were so strong last time out. Uh, you look at Darwin, and there's obviously it's a three day race meeting, so there's an extra day to work it out. Yeah, um, and a lot of Moving a team forward like this, um, like they've done with with David Couchy coming in and, and some of the other things they've they've done with investment and things, it, it's not just about throwing parts at it and it just yielding a, a better lap time at every racetrack you go to. It's it's improving the event prep and the simulation work that goes on before the event and also the playbook of how you structure those practice sessions and, and go through the weekend. So this is another test for how they progressed in all of that, even if they don't roll out well, how they how they chip away at it through the weekend. And I guess if you look too with Groves on the driver's side, like it's been a pretty good track for Dave personally, Dave Reynolds, yep. over the years. Yep. Um, not so much in the last couple, but um, you know he's had wins there over the journey with ProDrive and, and with Erebus as well. So, yeah, you, you wouldn't totally rule him out of jagging another one, would you? No, not at all. Not at all. They're definitely uh, definitely on the rise. 
Well, whatever happens up there, it will be a big weekend for Will Davison um, as he celebrates his 500th Supercars race start. And uh, that's why I grabbed him on the phone yesterday for a bit of a chat about that milestone and, uh, and a heap more that's going on in Supercars at the moment. Here it is. I mean, 500 races, um, particularly given the roller coaster of the last few years and of, you know, 2020 especially, it must feel like a genuine achievement to, to get to that milestone. Yeah, it's uh, you know I'm not I'm not big on sort of race start numbers because you know yeah I'm just um, just in the heat of the battle and yeah it has been uh, you know a story of a few ups and downs and um, you know uncertainty and whatnot but um, yeah I suppose it, it it makes it all that bit more rewarding but uh, yeah certainly don't focus on the the race start number it's more just the position I'm back in and the opportunity I've got once again. It, it's very rewarding because um, hasn't all been smooth sailing, but I suppose I, I take a little bit of pride in that as well. But, uh, you know, given a few tough times, um, I've been able to dig myself out and, um, you know, get myself back into great positions. And I'm, I'm grateful for all the good times and the bad, to be honest, because each, each chapter, although some, some shows more trophies than others, um, each chapter, you know, you know, I took something great out of all of them and, um, you know, it's, uh, it sort of adds, adds to the story, I suppose, in a way. Let me put you on the spot. Have you got a favourite race from the 499 that you've done so far? Oh, gee. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say a favourite. Honestly, there's been a couple that come to mind. Um you know, it's it's impossible to go by the, the Bathurst wins, um, sixteen in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, to be in the car at that finish and to have it in such a sort of stressful manner, um, with yep. running low on yep. fuel and trying to manage fuel, literally coughing across the finish line in a single car, tiny little team. I mean, put all those emotions together. It was it was pretty cool. Um and yeah, some really ma- magical ones in 2012. Some great battles at Clipsal in 2012 with Jamie, um, you know, running out of fuel on the last lap of the first one um, on the Saturday, and then to ba- bounce back and win on the Sunday. And um, all throughout 2012, the Gold Coast 600 was a very memorable win, and uh, Homebush, you know, the 500 as well. So, oh no, to be honest, there's so many, but um, yeah, there's there's been so many amazing memories you know racing at the highest level with you know incredible teams and you know so many talented people you know mechanics engineers um staff through all the teams it really is a privilege and and something i suppose at the time taking it for granted isn't the right word um but you're just you're so in the heat of the battle you know putting that pressure on yourself to perform and um you know the way i'm wide is you know no matter what i do i never feel you know you've done enough. You always want more out of yourself. So, uh, but looking back, it, it really is an amazing privilege racing at the highest level and getting the most out of yourself. And those days you can look yourself in the mirror, whether you finish first or you've qualified on pole, or maybe you finished fifth, you know, but those days when you you know, you've got the most out of yourself, um, it's a really, really special sport. And I'm just really glad to still be doing it. Well, having too many highlights to pick from is a pretty good problem to have. What about the opposite? Is there one that keeps you up at night still when you when you think about it from the four ninety nine? Uh, well, I've, I've been one not to dwell, you know, on the past. Um, you know, I've always tried to, you know, do what you got to do in your, your your moments of anger um, or frustration, and quickly, 
use that frustration into something more positive and uh, learn from it, be better from it. Um, but, oh, man, there's been, yeah, there's been some incredibly frustrating times, um, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, some uh, some absolute heartbreak. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I stringing to mind right now, whether that's the emotion of being in a position um, of not being able to, you know, do what I want, but, you know, maybe whether that's, being hamstrung by the finances of a situation in a team um, or the equipment you've got or, you know, me myself throwing a result away, um, springing to mind right now. I, you know, I can't, can't think of the biggest single heartbreak, but 2010 Bathurst is probably up there with one of them just because it had been yeah. a really, really tough year at HRT and, uh, but we're having such a strong day, um, and uh, yeah, to throw that one away in the wall with six to go was certainly one that I'll never forgive myself for. How are you feeling heading to Darwin this weekend? I mean, Winton was a little bit underwhelming from the team as a whole, um, but you guys were really, really strong at Hidden Valley last year. Are you sort of confident heading north? Yeah, we're we're really excited to get north, and um, yeah, just just get get back back on track. I think. Um, Certainly, Winton was frustrating. You know, we've obviously, you know, gone to a lot of length and effort to try and understand, you know, the weekend. Um, you know, I think there was quite a few, you know, um, factors involved in that weekend, making it quite a unique one. But nonetheless, yeah, it was a very, very disappointing weekend. But, um, you know, we're, we're not not uh, not throwing the toys out of the pram or getting too emotional. You know, we back ourselves and back our pash, package, package. And, um, you know, we've been pretty strong pretty much everywhere you know we cop a hard time um at times but generally that's because we've finished third or fourth so i think most teams would really like to cop the criticism we cop for you know being on the front row and having a worse result of second and third i mean that's that's how we're judged um but i think this sport there's no free kicks anymore there's no you know significant equipment advantage from anyone it's how you simply perform on that weekend and i think winton proves that it doesn't take much to to, you know, all of a sudden look ordinary. So, um, yeah, we back ourselves yeah. that we can get in the window more often than not, And but it's never a given. That pressure's always there. No matter what people expect out of you, you've got to be on your game, um, and that's the beauty of our sport now. So, um, yeah, Darwin, we're, we're backing ourselves that we will, you know, be strong, and um, I'm certainly looking forward to it because it hasn't been a fun few weeks um, since Winston. Some interesting tweaks to the tyre rules for this weekend with the 20 PSI minimum and you're not allowed to bake your tyres in the sun before a session and all that sort of stuff. Do you think we could see a bit more deg from that super soft tyre this weekend? Because we haven't really seen the tyre fall off like, you know, it's probably yeah, meant Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 think, uh, I think so. I hope it just doesn't make it just even more greasy and more on eggshells because um, often everyone just drives yeah. to the grip available and when the tyre's moving and sliding, you find everyone's just – in a bit of tyre management and it means your tyre is even more sensitive to going going off in traffic or whatnot. So, um, yeah, I hope we see massive degradation. I hope we see tyre management. Um, and, yeah, I, I think the the rules are on the right path. I'm not sure about the minimum PSI. Um, I think you want, you know, at the end of the day, I think having a bit of variation amongst cars is sometimes a good thing um in pressure but now i think we're all going to be the same <laughs> um but yeah maybe eliminating yeah. the um the baking of the tire is certainly going to make make the tires certainly be at a higher pressure um and certainly 
takes out a bit of a factor that, um, yeah, would maybe make the rule a bit more consistent because I think some people are up to a few more tricks than others. So, um, yeah, it's going it's to be interesting to see who gains from it and who's affected by it the most. We spoke a bit about your future in Perth a few weeks back after you had that win. Has there been any movement on that front in terms of getting something locked down for 2023? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, no, not, nothing nothing to discuss at this moment, but obviously my, my relationship's amazing with the team. We, we you know, we really, really, uh, a really close group and, um, you know, we're all just focused on, you know, working together now, but, um, you know, obviously, hopefully soon, you know, there'll be an announcement or, you know, we'll be able to discuss my future. But as of now, and not, you know, I've made it clear that I'm, you know, certainly um, going to be continuing driving. I don't feel even nearly ready to, to retire. I feel like I'm still, you know, um, you know, still even getting better, you know, particularly this year as I grow with the team. So I think it's pretty important that 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 continues and particularly going to an important era moving forward next year. Um, you, know, you know, I certainly don't want to be going anywhere. And thanks to Will Davo for his time there. Let's change the subject entirely now, Stefan. I wanted to touch on some comments Jamie Winkart made to Speed Cafe late last week about the decision to go with Declan Fraser over, say, Cameron Hill, uh, the other Triple Eight Super 2 driver for the super cheap wild card. He talked about... Fraser's work ethic and how he's embedded himself into the main game team. And and the story kind of insinuated that that was the key to Fraser landing the drive um, over Hill. I found it an interesting insinuation given that Cameron Hill literally runs his own race team. And at Winton, for example, he was running around engineering Formula Fords. I mean, it's not a bad excuse for not being sconced in the T8 garage. You know, he's such a hands-on guy, Cameron. He won a Formula Ford championship engineering his own car. They run their own car. Um, doing Carrera Cup and other stuff as well. Like at the end of the day, there are commercial realities in motorsport, and it's highly unlikely that that didn't play some sort of role at some point in piecing this whole thing together. And I don't say any of this to take anything away from Declan Fraser. I really don't mean that at all. But I don't know. I found the Wing Cup comments a little unfair. Stefan, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that Declan has impressed Jamie and and the team with his attitude. Sure, uh, yeah. and there's there's a nice element of the full circle probably there as well. Like um, Roland Dane tells the story of how um, you know Jamie's attitude is really why he got chosen for that drive back uh, like at the end of 2005 at AAA, uh, and this this sort of reads like Jamie's trying to sell a good story here with Declan, but he's just overreached on it a bit. Um, you know, like yeah. saying that you know there's there's other kids just waiting for it to be handed them. To them, um, yeah. Not only is that a little bit of a, it sort of travels poorly when you when you consider the Cameron Hill element, but it's yeah, it's just a slap in the face to all the youngsters that are there working really hard to try to find opportunities, which isn't easy without financial backing. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Triple uh, Eight have got to uh, hire a bit more security for their garage this weekend because every kid with a dream and a Motorsport Australia license is going to be barging their way in, declaring they're uh, there to create an opportunity for themselves by working hard and integrating themselves with the team. Uh, that's a very that's a very good point. Yeah, I certainly think that um, if there's one person not sitting around waiting for stuff to be handed to them, it's uh, it's Cameron Hill. So um, I guess that's why that caught my attention.
Toyota took a fifth consecutive 24 hours of Le Mans victory thanks to the number eight crew, Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley and Rio Hirakawa. The number seven car of Jose Maria Lopez, Mike Conway and Kamui Kobayashi had been in the hunt before it stopped on track and needed a hybrid system reboot to get going. Again, they were still able to make it a Toyota 1-2, while Aussie Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook and Frank Mallow finished third in their Glickenhaus. Shane Van Gisbergen and the Riley Motorsports Ferrari finished fifth in the GTE Pro class. In Baku, it was victory for Max Verstappen and heartbreak for Charles Leclerc. The Ferrari driver started from pole but didn't make the finish due to an engine failure. Uh, Carlos Sainz had an engine fail to make it a very dark day for Ferrari and that left the door open for Verstappen who once again was given a free pass on teammate Sergio Perez to lead home a Red Bull 1-2. George Russell was third and Lewis Hamilton fourth despite suffering severe back pain from the Mercedes porpoising. Daniel Ricciardo finished eighth, a spot ahead of Lando Norris after McLaren told the Brit to hold station behind the Aussie late in the race. Daniel Suarez took a long-awaited career-first NASCAR Cup Series win at Sonoma. He's the first Mexican driver to take a Cup win and just the fifth driver born outside the United States of America to take a Cup win. The others are Juan Pablo Montoya, Mario Andretti, Earl Ross and our own Marcus Ambrose. Joseph Newgarden beat Marcus Ericsson and Alex Rossi in the Road America IndyCar race. Scott McLaughlin was seventh, while Will Power had an interesting day. He and Devlin DeFrancesco clashed early in the race, and Will decided to take a bit of a cool-down lap revenge with a hip and shoulder uh, on his rival. And there was more tragedy at the Isle of Man TT when father and son's sidecar crew, Roger and Bradley Stockton, were killed in a crash over the weekend that took the total number of fatalities for the 2020 event to five. Okay, it's time to reach into the Castro mailbag. Uh, Bjorn Cunningham asked if we think Lewis will retire this year or see out his contract and asked if the Brits can keep making up excuses for him. Well, I'll jump straight into the second point. I'm not sure we can sledge the Brits for backing their man just days after Optus Stadium in Perth was lit up in orange to support Daniel Ricciardo and his battle against a faster teammate at the moment. So I think we might just <laughs> um, enjoy the view from this glass house and keep the keep the stones in the old pocket for the moment. Um, as for Lewis retiring, I don't think it's really in Lewis's DNA to walk away when things aren't going well. I think he's much more of a bow out on top sort of dude. And, and I also think Mercedes is too good a team to stay down for too long. I, I still wouldn't be surprised if they wheel out a floor upgrade somewhere and, and that car turns into an absolute jet. It's probably going to be a little too late for a title push this year, but I certainly don't think you'd be ruling out Mercedes for the foreseeable future. And I think that's a gamble Lewis would be would be willing to sort of hang about on. Stefan, what do you reckon? Could you see him calling it quits while things are going pretty poorly? Well, it's a, it's a reasonable question, really. I mean, it, it can't be easy for him to be dealing with this at the moment, like the car being uncompetitive, it being physically painful to drive, and his teammate doing a better job than he is at the moment. Like, it's yeah. an extraordinary turnaround from where he's been year on year having the best car in a pretty sort of privileged position there. So yeah. it's it's a question worth asking, but yeah, I think ultimately what, what you say there about the fact that it, it'd be very much against sort of his uh, ethos and everything he preaches about not giving up and, and all of that, that it would be a really, really bad way to, to sign off by just uh, putting the cue in the rack after um, a difficult season. And yeah, and it still could turn around like it's, it, probably going to be up and down for a while like uh, pardon the pun on the right height but yeah. <laughs> um, you know a, a joint like um, like Barcelona where it was obviously a lot better and 
something like Silverstone is probably going to be the same where it's uh, a lot smoother and uh, and more flowing is going to suit that car compared to Baku was probably it's uh, it's sort of nightmare sort of Baku and Monaco and those places so it, it shouldn't be quite as bad as it has been you would, you would think. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at the end of the day, and Lewis has talked about this this year, he's like, I've had bad seasons before. Like the McLaren, you know, in whatever year it was, 2012, it was, like, it was horrible. Um, or was it 2011? Whatever. You know, so, you know, he sort of goes, this is not the completely uncharted territory. It's just that we're so used to seeing him in such control of, of, of a race weekend because the car's doing what he wants it to do and everything was geared up for him to go out there and, and win races. Just on the George Russell, Lewis Hamilton for, I think it's important to note as well that, you know, Lewis has gone from having lots of grip to not having much grip, and that's about as difficult a thing for a race car driver to try and deal with. We've seen that in the past. Look at when, you know, Daniel Ricciardo went back went back to Renault and suddenly had a car with less grip in it. It's very difficult to get your head to get your head around that. Um, George Russell has kind of gone from driving an average car without much grip to driving an average car without much grip, so it's kind of an easier transition, and I think he's kind of just yielding the benefit of just going, okay, well, I'm used to driving difficult cars. I spent plenty of time trying to hustle that Williams around. So this is kind of – I'm kind of used to this. Where for Lewis, it has been such smooth sailing for so long. Of course, this is going to be a massive shock to the system when the car just doesn't automatically kind of do what you want it to do. Yeah. There's there's a lot going on in the background, obviously, too, with uh, the politicking about whether they're going to change any rules regarding yeah. uh, trying to fix this porpoising, which uh, Mercedes seems to really be on the front, front foot with, um, and both of their drivers are – talking about it a lot, so um, that's probably going to play a role in, in how it goes forward from here as well, you'd think. For sure. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who have you got there? Well, straight off the back of that, my uh, Castrol Star of the Week uh, is George Russell. Um, yes, you did uh, make some good points there about um, you know Lewis having a tougher time sort of adjusting himself back from, from where he's been, but I think... Like with all the discussion there is about Lewis, it's it's easy to overlook just how good George has been this year. Oh, and yeah. Like yeah. Backer on the weekend was another example of him just maximising everything. You know, qualifying fifth is the best that car can do at the moment and then picking up third in the race um, when the Ferraris had, uh, had powered it. Um, and to have finished all eight races in the top five, that's uh, seriously impressive stuff for a car that is, is fifth on pace at best. So... Um, yeah, I think he. Uh, it was only a matter of time before he picked up a star of the week. Yeah, no, he is having a marvellous season. And at the end of the day, we know how good Lewis is. So to be matching him regardless of the circumstances is like is unbelievable. And I think we sort of – the fact that he is certainly a much better match for Lewis than Valtteri Bottas is not overly surprising. I think we expected that. And I think it's also like, you know – at the end of the day, people talk about the fact that, you know, that Lewis tries to control everything and this and that. But Michael Schumacher would never have let the team sign a driver like George Russell. And after Etten Senna and, and Elaine Prost had their fallout, they both had very hard stipulations in their contract that they had a huge amount of control over who was in the other car at the team. And then Lewis just says, no, that's fine. Let's go. Bring this guy in. He's good. Let's have a race, which I think is something that gets lost in a lot of the he's always whinging all the time stuff, is the fact that our other great champions who are greatly revered would never have let a driver like George Russell come into the team, not in a million years. 
Anyway, just uh, I just want to point out that my my star of the week was all about the fact that like the Mercedes conversation is too much about Lewis and George deserves some some credit, some recognition, and you somehow made it about Lewis. But anyway, well, I'm just I'm just making the point that I'm saying that like, he let a good driver come into the team. That's that says something. That's uh, it's like it's like when I let you come on this podcast. It <laughs> was very that was very you know if you're going to take on a star number two, you got to be uh, you're going to. It's going to be a bit rough and tumble. Anyway, um, for my star of the week, I'm going to go with uh, David Walsh, a third consecutive Fink title. Uh, And he actually really got to enjoy the one this year because obviously with the tragic death of a spectator last year, the second leg was cancelled for the bikes. Um, So he got to actually ride the second leg and he rode it pretty fast as well because he set a new uh, race record, 11 minutes faster than Toby Price's old record. Um, He's an Alice Springs local. He did it a day before his wife's due date for a new baby. So I think that's... um, that's all pretty cool for David. So he is my um, star of the week. I do wonder if the record being beaten might tempt Toby back onto a bike for another crack at the Ironman where he tries to do the bike and the car. He hasn't been able to do it in recent years due to his overseas contract with KTM, but uh, it would be fun to see him and uh, and Walsh going at it on two wheels at Fink. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.